welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Good to see you this morning as we come together to worship the Lord and to um, encourage one another in the Word and just in the fellowship. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue looking at this section, <clears throat> last week we began looking there in verses 1 and 2 at uh, the command that we would be imitators of God. And we saw, first of all, that that means walking in love. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so in that uh, uh, message last week, we looked at this reality that uh, Christ has the pattern of what it means to walk in love. And uh, we also looked at the reality that um, uh, God also gives us the power to walk in love. Uh, he, through the Spirit of God, is with us, enabling us that uh, we can follow him, that we can imitate him in the way that he loves. Well, as we come to this uh, second uh, way in which we're to imitate God, that is walking in the light. And this is the uh, bigger section, bigger portion of this section that uh, Paul writes about from here in chapter 5. And if you look down to verse 8, you see the command there. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so, Last time, as we said, we looked at um, what this love of God is like, this agape love. And we looked at the pattern of Christ there in demonstrating to us what this love is like. And um, fundamentally, it is a giving, a self-sacrificial kind of love, a selfless love. And what Paul is going to show us in these next few verses is that the world has its counterfeit. Uh, the love of the world is, in reality, just the opposite of what God has commanded us. And so we see the counterfeit. Notice in the text there from, um, from verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we still our hearts before your word this morning, I pray that uh, you, would, you would help us, Lord, to uh, yield our, uh, our wills to yours. Uh, may the Spirit of God uh, enlighten our minds and open our hearts to receive your word and to obey your word. I pray, Father, for those of us who are your children, that we would uh, uh, just be open and willing to, uh, to submit to your will, to change our habits, to put off and to put on the righteousness of God, the ways in which you've given for us. And Lord, for those here this morning who may not know you, I pray, Father, that you also would open their heart Enlighten their mind and convict of their need for the Savior. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what we so commonly see in the world today is the perversion of love that the Lord gave to husband and wife in the covenant of marriage. And we live in such a time today that um, it's not sufficient to say husband and wife. We have to say uh, the covenant between a man and a woman in the marriage contract. And, and yet we find even that is not sufficient. We, we have to, to go and say, well, we're really talking about the gender of your birth. And it's hard to imagine that we've come to a place uh, that uh, our wor- world is so confused, so in the darkness that the Lord describes for us here through Paul. Everything that God has given us the world and Satan in through the world has its counterfeits. That which uh, is really the opposite, but uh, it's, it's sold as if it's the genuine thing. Uh, the Gentile world in this first century was fully given over to every kind of sexual immorality. And if you look back in chapter 4, uh, from verse 17, you see there Paul had already described this. Uh, notice chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Well, our Western world is quickly returning to this immoral kind of lifestyle. And we, we see it all around us, don't we? We, we? we can't go anywhere or turn on the TV or do anything hardly without uh, being impacted in influenced by this um, mindset of the world. Even even as we look to some church leaders, so-called, there is a redefining of God's word to fit in with the new morality of our day. And this so-called new morality is really just a dressed-up version of the old old immorality of the past. Some time ago, I was uh, uh, talking to a person that was a, claimed to be a believer, but they were questioning the validity of God's word and the word's claims upon our morality today. 
I was um, showing this person passages from uh, like this one from the Word of God that shows that living together in a sexual relationship before marriage was not right for a believer. It was sinful. But the response was that, well, that was 2,000 years ago, and surely God doesn't expect us to, to apply that to our situation today. And so the reality is God's standards for sexual morality uh, that he has given us is not based upon the norms or the standards of the day. It wasn't based upon the standards when Paul was living or upon the standards of the day when we're living, but it is based upon the very character of God. And God gave them to us from the beginning of his creation when he established the first marriage. But we have the, the lie of the devil. The lie of the devil comes to us and says that God in his commands are are just there to withhold something good from us. It's like the lie that he told to Eve, you remember. God's holding out on you. Because he knows if you, if you did eat this fruit, then you would be like him. And Satan comes to us through the world's message and says to us, you deserve to have everything you want. And you can have it today. You don't have to wait. You deserve to be happy. You should not deny yourself. And these lies among many other of the deceptions of our day. And they are deceptions because in the end, they don't give more freedom. They don't give joy and contentment. And in reality, they lead to heartache and more greed, more desire. But God says, to us as his children, this is not who you are. Sexual immorality is not fitting for the saint of God, the saint, the one who is set apart unto God. Look at uh, verse 3 again. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. In other words, this should have nothing to do with our living. We should separate ourselves. We are the saint. The idea of a saint is one who is holy or one who is set apart. We are to be set apart unto God and not allow uh, these immoralities of the world to infiltrate into our thinking and into our lives. The word uh, here translated sexual immorality is the word pornea. And in its various forms, it's used 55 times in the New Testament. And it, it speaks of various kinds of sexual activity outside the marriage covenant of a man and a woman. And then Paul will add to that the words, all impurity. So make sure that, um, that you're, you're not imagining some sin that, that doesn't fall under a category of sexual immorality. All impurity. And it is a more general word, but in the context, you see, he's still talking about sexual impurity. As he speaks to 
this, you see various places in the, the, the letters to the churches where he uses these words together to describe the sexual sins of the world. It's interesting, the third word that he uses there may seem out of place, <clears throat> uh, but he uses it to describe this counterfeit of the world, the word covetousness, or you could translate it greediness. But it, it really is, he's still talking about the same problem of the heart. God's love is selfless, but the world's love is best described as selfish. It's greedy. As you look at the sexual perversions of the world all about us, uh, it's all about getting what I want. It's, it's not concerned about giving or the commitment of myself to someone else, but self-centered satisfaction. What can I get from this person? And and then when that person no longer satisfies, well, go find someone else. That's the mentality of the world. That's what we're seeing all around us. But God's grace comes to us through Christ and teaches us that genuine love is not like the world's love. Genuine love, a biblical love, teaches us to love God and others with self-control, with a, a commitment to the other person. The way of the world is greedy. It's always wanting more and more, never being satisfied with what God has given. And as we see here in another text, this is idolatry. And Paul warns us, as the church, to not become like the world. You notice in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, another passage where he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, to indulge in sexual sins is idolatry because they become the center of our affection, of our desire. They take the place of our devotion and our love for the Lord. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to see it. If you, in your Bible's there, just turn to the right a few pages and you'll get to 1 Thessalonians and in chapter 4, I want to read this portion because it's good for us to see God's Word and to allow God's Word to remind us of uh, who we are and what we've been called to. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that 
No one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, and but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gave his Holy Spirit to you. And so we have this uh, word from the Lord that he's given us, this reminder, this warning that it is a message directly from the Lord. It's not Paul's opinion or somebody else's opinion, but God's word to us. If we go back to our text in uh, Ephesians 5, in verse 4, Paul gets more specific to include also our speech. He says, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. This word uh, translated filthiness is uh, also translated vulgar or obscene. And the, and the root of this word speaks of something that is shameful. If, if you're um, at all aware, you realize that the major agenda of the world and in many ways through media is that to make that which is shameful, that which is vulgar and obscene, the norm. So that we're exposed to it over and over until it becomes acceptable or at least tolerated. That is the agenda, and it comes directly from Satan. But we, as God's children, must walk in the light of God's word and not allow the spirit of, sorry, but allow the spirit of God to renew our minds uh, daily as we go to God's word so that we are not being conformed to the standard of this world. Uh, notice also Paul includes foolish talk and crude joking. So he's really, he's really focusing here on also the speech that uh, we see. And, and this, is the, this is the world of the nighttime talk shows. The, the sitcoms, the soap operas, and really a lot of what we see coming to us in the form of entertainment. Paul warns that all of this is out of place for the believer. And notice the contrast of how we as believers should use our words. He says, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And that may almost seem strange that you would set thanksgiving as the, the opposite, what we should put on as to all this vulgar talk and joking and, and sexual innuendos and all of that. I read a, an article, one of the articles by John Piper, I thought helpful. He said, if fornication and impurity are driven by covetousness, and covetousness is a deep discontented craving that dominates your life, and even leads you to go against the will of God, then it is clear that the opposite experience would be thanksgiving. If you are overflowing with thanksgiving to God, then you are not dominated and driven by discontentment at what you have been denied. 
Well, the second thing that Paul deals with in this, this section is the, the counterfeit life leads to judgment. And uh, we see the warning coming to us from verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God or kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Those phrases that he uses there, for you may be sure of this, and let no one deceive you with empty words, would would indicate that there was false teachers and other voices within the within the, the church and in the the the, uh, the assembly of the believers there that were were communicating the same kind of things that we hear today. It's it even comes from within, like so-called spiritual leaders who would uh, would deny God's standard for sexuality. Uh, you'll hear statements like, sex is all right as long as it's meaningful to you. Or, or as long as you're not hurting someone else. And all kinds of uh, uh, statements like that that completely ignores the teaching of God's Word. Uh, many have moved away from the absolute truth of God's word for a subjective truth. In other words, you have your truth and I have my truth. And that's okay. And the idea that because of that, you can have your own morality and I can have my own morality. Uh, that is the message of today. And if you haven't noticed that, that is what's coming to us. And many times it even comes to us from within the so-called church. Voices that would teach us that um, God's word is pliable. In other words, we can bend it and mold it to fit our situation. But not so. God says to us through Paul, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. This warning that he gives here is repeated in many other places with other phrases, but the message is the same. People who continue in unrepentant sin do not belong to God, nor will they take part in His eternal kingdom. Let me share with you just a couple couple of those quickly. Galatians 5 from verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, uh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, uh, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I was saying this is not a complete list, but things like this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Also in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will, have, uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now Paul is not saying that a Christian who commits uh, such a sin will lose their salvation. 
But what he is saying is that a believer, uh, as we know, is capable of these sins. But a, but a genuine believer, a genuine child of God, will not be able to continue indefinitely in rebellion against God. Because God disciplines his children. He corrects them and brings them back to himself in repentance. But for the unrepentant is God's judgment. Notice the end of, uh, back in our text, in Ephesians 5, end of verse 6. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That, that phrase there, the sons of disobedience, he he used earlier back in chapter 2, and you'll remember it there, the beginning of chapter 2, where he describes the, the Gentile world. And uh, he's describing their uh, immorality, the fact that they're dead in their sins and their trespasses, the sons of disobedience. And so what Paul is saying, these sins belong to that world that world of darkness. But you, the children of God, belong to a different world. You belong to the light. And that's his, that's his next point. You are light in the Lord. He's been showing us that the immorality of the world has no place in the life of the believer. He says now he's going to reinforce that with this metaphor of light versus darkness. Notice verse 7. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This uh, metaphor of light is used in two ways in the scripture to teach about God and about us as his children and it's set over against the darkness. Uh, first of all, light symbolizes truth. It's, it's truth about God and the knowledge of God which he gives to us. Uh, darkness, on the other hand, symbolizes Satan and his rule in this world that is in opposition to the truth of God. Satan holds men in spiritual darkness and ignorance. So first of all, truth is used this way to, to illustrate the truth. The truth, God is truth. And He's given to us His truth, and we stand in that truth. Secondly, it symbolizes holiness. Again, the holiness of God. And because we are in Christ as believers, we are His holy ones. Set apart for Him. And again, the opposite, the opposite is the darkness, the evil domain of Satan, and all that is unholy. As believers, we're, we're to walk with our Lord in the light. Notice how Paul says it. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't just say you were in the darkness but you were darkness. That's who we were before we were saved. And now that we belong to Christ, we're not just in the light. We are light in the Lord. He's speaking of this transformation that takes place when a person comes to faith in Christ and 
that's genuine uh, repentance and faith in Christ, they are a new creation in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, that passage I read for you before from 1 Corinthians 6, remember there where he says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, here's some good news. You may feel really weighted down with all this dark talk of, uh, of the immorality. Well, verse 11 comes and says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That's who we are in Christ. Uh, we are light in the Lord. Because we belong to Him, uh, we walk with Him in this light. And this is why in verse 7 that it's so unthinkable that we would be partakers together with the world in the darkness. That word partakers is also translated partners. Earlier, Paul had used it in this letter to talk about the fact that uh, the Jews and Gentiles have become partakers together of the promises of God. We're not to be partakers or partners with the world any, any longer. We have a new, a new kingdom, a new Lord. In verse 10, he completes his thought that he, he begins there in verse the end of uh, verse uh, 8. He says, walk in children of light, in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And there in the middle, in verse 9, he, he almost gives us this parenthetical, parenthetical truth about light, uh, which Paul often does. He'll come to a, a word or a thought and he'll insert some information about that. And then he'll come back to his original uh, line of thinking. So there in verse 8, we have the description of the virtue or the fruit of light. He says, uses three words, all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Uh, these stand in contrast to the fruitless or the worthless works of darkness. And so those three words there, the goodness, all goodness, righteousness, and truth, uh, really speak to the actions of truth and holiness. That is, that is who God is and who we are to be in Him. He says again, verse 11, take no part or don't participate in the works of darkness. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In other words, instead of participating in the darkness, we are to expose the deeds of the darkness for what they are. Well, in conclusion this morning, has the Lord transformed you and delivered you from Satan's domain of darkness? Has He transferred you into the kingdom of Christ? You belong to Him? And if so, are you walking in the light with Him? Or does the truth make you a bit uncomfortable? Are you a little more comfortable in the shadows? Nobody can see what's going on. God has called us to the light. 
In John 3, remember, verse 19, 21, he says, And this is the judgment, that light is come into the world. And he's speaking of Jesus coming into the world. Light is come into the world. And people, people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Uh, probably most of you would know Stuart Waugh, but years ago, um, back in the very beginning of uh, the CMI training program in Durban, uh, Stuart was uh, one of those students, similar to what we have here now in George, the BLI, the Biblical Leadership Institute. Uh, they had CMI. And uh, Stuart was a, a young pastor, uh, learned, really uh, learned, and uh, for some reason, I can't remember why, he traveled to the U.S., uh, probably with one of the church planters, and um, had opportunity to preach in a little church in, out in this rural country area. And uh, Stuart was preaching from this passage, and he used the... <clears throat> illustration to try to, to drive home the point of the fact that uh, uh, sinners don't like, they hate the light. And he says, they're like cockroaches. When you turn the light on, they just scurry, run for the darkness. Well, this man stood up, very upset, and said, are you calling my relatives cockroaches? <laughs> and Stuart, poor, poor guy, he didn't know what to say. Man gets his relatives, his family, and goes out. I guess he realized he was a sinner, but he didn't like being compared to a cockroach, I guess. I'm not sure. But in our follow-up session this morning, after our tea time, we'll come back together. I want, us to, I want us to talk about how we expose the works of darkness around us. We're commanded there to not take part in this darkness, but rather expose the works of darkness. And that word expose there um, can be translated in various ways, like um, to admonish. Um, it has to do with our speaking as a pastor is supposed to, um, to teach and to um, admonish in the word. It also speaks to our living. Uh, so for now, we could say if, if we imitate God by walking in love and walking in the light, we will be exposing the deeds of the darkness, both by our words and our actions. Well, let us close this morning with this invitation that Paul gives. You see in the text there uh, in chapter 5, end of chapter, end of verse 14, he says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And in some of the uh, translations, you'll see that that, that uh, end of that verse there is 
is put in a poetic uh, form, or it's it's like a like a uh, a poem or a hymn would be uh, printed. And uh, many believe that um, although you can find Old Testament uh, passages that are similar to this, it's not a direct quote from any verse in the Old Testament. And the way that it's written, many believe that it is it was a a song, a hymn that was sung by the early church, possibly at Easter or maybe at baptism. Arise, O sleeper, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And it really has application to both the unsaved and the saved. Uh, awake, O sleeper, uh, can really speak to the unsaved. Rise from the dead. Uh, the scriptures describe us as being in this darkness and dead to the spiritual things of God. And if God has is, is quickened your heart, he's convicted you of the need to come to Christ, the call is to, to awake, to rise, and come to him in faith. And Christ will shine on you. But um, as many commentators have also seen, this has application to us as well, the, the church. For us as believers, it's easy for us to, to get drowsy in our Christian living. It's easy for us to, to, to not see the darkness for what it is and to begin to, to become like the world. He calls to us, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Rise up out of this life of the darkness and Christ will shine on you. Father, as we, we come to this passage, Lord, it's the, it's the kind of passage that we don't really want to think about. We don't want to be confronted with the truth of the darkness of the world around us. And dear Lord, we need to be confronted with this truth because the, <clears throat> the world is in our face with this kind of immoral living. The darkness is all around us and you've called us to be light to walk with you in the light. And so, Father, we acknowledge this morning our need for your strength, for your help, and you've given us that for your word and the Spirit of God who dwells within us. Lord, may we walk close to you, close to your word, so that we might live for you in these dark days. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Sins they are.